0: And good morning. Welcome to the programme. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Over the next hour, then, it's your chance to question the Chief Executive, Carrie Lam, on the policy address that she delivered on Wednesday, her second. Give her a call. Tell her what you did or that you didn't like. To talk directly to Mrs Lam, just give us a call on 233-88266. 233-88266. Or, if you can't get to a phone, email backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk, but we'll give priority to phone calls. Now, we are Broadcasting this morning on RTHK Radio 3, on RTHK TV 32. We're streamed on the RTHK website and we're on Facebook Live at the RTHK Radio 3 Facebook page. So it's not just the hundreds of thousands of local listeners that tune into our English language radio, but also an international audience as ever, particularly for today's English language phone in. Well, the Legco speech that we heard on Wednesday was again a sort of condensed version of the full address, which was a very substantial, perhaps a record, uh, with head- Headline projects on land supply, on housing, uh, on the MPF offset mechanism, on maternity leave, on transport, uh, research and a few thoughts on the judiciary and Article 23 and even a billion dollars for the development of the film industry. It was presented under the slogan striving ahead and rekindling hope. What did you make of it? Do you like the way ahead that the CE is leading? You can let her know now. Danny Gittings is your co-host. Danny. Good morning, Mrs. Lamb. Yeah. Good well, morning,
1: Danny. Good morning, Hugh.
0: Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, thank, you, uh, thank you for joining this show yeah. for English
2: lang- language listeners. As we said, it was a very substantial policy address. Mm-hmm. Um, you put forward, what, what you called, I think you called them final solutions to uh, various problems that have been a lot around for a long time. Whether we're talking about NPF ops offset or tunnel tolls, and um, there's a sense, is, is there a sense that you're sort of cleaning up the things that your, your predecessors <laughs> never managed to do, and, and in the process yeah.
1: already running into a lot of opposition on those fronts? Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't uh, use that description. That you have adopted, but uh, having been in the government for 38 years, I realised that uh, the time to actually implement um, important policies is very limited. So for a chief executive who has a five-year term, um, one should really set out the clear directions that um, he or she wants to take the government forward and have sufficient time at least to put in place the necessary systems and processes to deliver that policy direction so for my policy, first policy address which was only, uh, which was delivered only three months after I took office you would imagine that I need a bit of warming up and engagement and so on, but the second policy address has been uh, very important and I said it's not now I told my colleagues a year ago that let's focus our mind on a second policy address because this has to be a very substantive one that will uh, address long-standing problems and try to find solutions and lay out this solutions for the public, particularly for the Legislative Council to deliberate and decide whether they like it. If they like it, they approve it, then we have time to implement. If they don't like it, then we put them aside and move on to other things because uh, time and attention and efforts are very limited.
2: We don't like it. We put it aside. We move on to other things. You're kind of su- yeah. suggesting maybe some of what you put for- forward actually won't prove practical and you're not going to, in that case, you won't waste no, no, time under your
1: standards. It's not, it's not that they are not practical. It's that, that, that they are contentious. And there is already this candidate that will fall into that category, and that is the rationalization of the yeah. uh, traffic across the three cross-harbour tunnels. It is very obvious that two of the three tunnels, and these two are owned by us, are suffering a very serious congestion. And that congestion um, is spilling onto traffic, which are not using the Cross Harbour Tunnel. They just want to go to the other side of the Hong Kong island. But they are also locked up in the jam. So um, this is a long-standing problem. And uh, the West Harbour Crossing um, is at the moment not owned by us. It will revert to us in 2023. So we have an option of doing nothing for the next five years. We have an option of trying to find a solution that will redistribute more evenly uh, the cross-harbour tunnel traffic. And uh, we have really worked on it for over half a year. And now we have a solution. We feel we have a solution, but that solution carries some pain, as I said yesterday, which means that we have to raise the uh, toll of uh, the other two tunnels, Hongham and Eastern, and uh, we have agreed in principle with the private companies to lower the toll of the Western Harbour crossing. That will have the effect of redistribution and uh, resolve this uh, traffic jam and congestion considerably, according to the traffic consultants. But I've already heard that, oh, uh, from the, especially from the members who uh, come from <laughs> direct elections, they're very worried about um, uh, upsetting voters, especially those uh, drivers who are using the other two tunnels. So uh, it is likely that uh, they may not support this total package because this package requires um, legislative approval in terms of raising the toes of Hong Hongham and Eastern, and in terms of giving me a sum of money to reimburse the private company.
2: So if they don't support it, you abandon it and move on. This is the Kerry yes. Lam approach. You yes. don't, you, you don't, yes. is, that, is that what you did with universal suffrage as well? You said in your <laughs> press conference universal suffrage could wait 30, 40 years. No, no, You're no. All...
1: It's very different, Danny, because this Western Harbour Crossing will come back to us in 2023. So it's within a time of only four or five years. Do you want a solution or not? If you don't want a solution, just uh, let's tolerate the congestion. But by 2023, when all the tunnels revert to us, we will have a better way to rationalise and arrange and so on and so on. And maybe by then the technology will make it far easier to adjust the toes uh, during the day. But universal suffrage is our ultimate objective as put down in uh, the basic law. So uh, we will continue to strive ahead to find a way forward in giving people one person, one vote to select the chief executive. But having uh, suffered a major defeat only, uh what, three years ago. I have to be extremely careful uh, on whether uh, we would um, sort of trigger this exercise and whether there is any chance of getting it through, especially when this subject is not entirely with Hong Kong. There is a National People's Congress decision that we will have to take into full account.
2: You said in your press conference it could take 30, 40 years, 2037 or so, that's a long time.
1: I I did not give exact uh, quantum, but I did... um, Uh, explain when people try to compare basic law 23 and basic law 45 it is quite obvious that basic law 23 is you should enact local legislation to protect and prevent this and that okay which means that you should do it uh, right away after 1997 whereas in universal suffrage is gradual step by step ultimately (laughs) so one will have to think that that is perhaps a process
2: some people in the pro-establishment—you mentioned Basic Law 23. Yeah. Some people in the yeah. pro-establishment camp say you're being too soft on Basic Law 23, and you're being too cautious. Yeah. Um, how, how, <laughs> that um, there are real threats um, now, and you should be responding now. How do you respond to yeah, that,
1: Danny? One of the one of the things I have um, I have learned. I, I learned this previously, but now I learned it deeply. Is there is no win for the chief executive uh, if we uh, try to be more liberal, uh, more accommodating, then uh, certain um, political parties will be very unhappy. Uh, if I will be seen as too sort of pro mainland and, and, and whatnot, then I will be attacked <laughs> by the other side. So I just do the right things uh, for Hong Kong.
0: I, uh, I think an important part of that is knowing where, where you stand and understanding the logic and the process yeah. that you're, you're going through and you're thinking. Um, when it comes to the Eastland town metropolis, I, I've got to say a lot of people are concerned about the way that that's developing. Um, in particular, I mean, take, for example, just the scale of it. Uh, uh, we've been talking, the government has been talking... And The the task force on land supply has been talking, for example, of a a reclamation of 1,000 hectares and suddenly it's jumped up to 1,700 hectares. What's going on there?
1: No, what's going on there will be fully explained by the Secretary for Development at the press conference this afternoon. I can only assure you that this is not a sort of politically driven uh, number. I have not been involved in it I have been presented a plan Which I feel is a plan that is exciting That will provide the long-term prospects For Hong Kong's land supply But let me just um, make uh, two more points One is... uh, I notice you're still referring to the uh, eastern, East Lantau metropolis. What we're now describing, this is a Lantau tomorrow version. Actually, apart from the uh, artificial islands on uh, Gao Yizhou and Zhao, it also pricks in parts of the western part of Hong Kong, that is the two moon areas, uh, with the reclamation in Longgu and also the Tumun East and the Tumun West development, including this river cargo terminal, which many people said could be transformed and redeveloped and along the northern shore of lantau there are still pockets of sunny bay and the dong chong development well i I, I call
0: it the east lantau metropolis because that's the name that people have been using that's 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 why i said it's not comparing like with like and exactly but the scale people have been asked so far what do you think of this 1000 hectares and suddenly we're jumping to uh doing design Mm. studies very soon that's what it says in the It says in the that we will very soon start design work yes. uh, on this. Um, where, how did we get
1: there? No, we still have to go through Legislative Council to get the money for the detailed feasibility and uh, design. Uh, how do we get there? It's because my engineering colleagues are very conscientious. They've been working on Lentau for many years. That was indeed a sustainable Lentau office set up in the last term of the Hong Kong SAR government. And they've been looking at all these various options and receiving feedback from think tanks, from uh, local um, um, organizations, and they realized that actually we could do more in order to meet the long-term needs of Hong Kong. This idea of a land bank or a land reserve has emerged in the course of um, last five months' discussion. It's not just a thousand two hundred hectares. Many people said it, that we it's need emerged
0: more. emerged from the Hong Kong Foundation. We
1: need no, 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 no. Under, There's and, a lot uh, of people are talking under
0: about the it. convener of the executive council. No,
1: no, no, no. <laughs> we we did not directly. Uh, Check or compare nooks with uh, anything, Tang, especially uh, with the. I the haven't Our heard Hong this Kong from anyone Foundation. else,
0: to be honest. Ah. I've only heard this from the Our Hong Kong Foundation. And no, no, no.
1: Y- you have other people who wrote in a commentary and here and there and so on. Now, this is a point in, in support
0: of that proposal.
1: In support of a land bank in support of a more assured supply of land to meet Hong Kong's needs. I was engaged in myself in a debate, a little debate, with Fernando Cheung, who is very concerned about elderly and disabled people and, and, and so on. And uh, they have been uh, demanding for uh, a, a more spacious environment for elderly homes, which I and CK Law... The secretary for labour and welfare. We to embrace this, but where is the land? I said we need land to create space for all these sorts of activities. This is point number one. Point number two is uh, when people feel that oh, a thousand seven hundred hectares is much larger than a thousand. Let me just remind um, you, Hugh and Danny. When thirty years ago the government then embarked on the um, new airport and port development program, it was also about actually is uh, slightly over a thousand seven hundred hectares for the uh, new airport at Chalapkog, for the uh, Western Harbour Crossing and now the West Kowloon Cultural District and all these uh, uh, am, I right for the railway?
0: That, am I right in thinking that this proposed uh, Eastland town metropolis, I can't get out of the habit, uh, <laughs> would cost more than the airport and the, and the uh, express rail and the bridge to Macau put together, considerably more than that?
1: We don't know. We have to do the costing because there's uh, something called the money of a day. You have to look at the inflation and so on. But there's one point I am asking my secretary for development to present this analysis in time to come. When people said it's very easy, why don't you do the brown fields? Why don't you do the rural areas and so on? There is also a very big cost to doing that sort of thing. Not only in land acquisition when we have to pay high level for agricultural land because that agricultural land after planning has potential for development into housing and commercial. That's why we're not paying a few hundred dollars for acquisition of farmland now. Secondly is uh, we have been upping the package for dual rehousing and compensation. I don't know, I lost count on how many times we have uh, improved the package in order to persuade the people to leave. And by the way, these people are not the people with the land titles. These are cottage Hmm. residents who are just tolerated structures over the years. And the latest package, you may not have um, uh, noticed this, is so generous that they could go into a public rental housing or buy a subsidized selfless even without going through any means testing, as long as they happen to live in one of these isn't uh, the alternative though near
0: shore reclamation because that's yeah, what right. Hong Kong has been doing that's all these years, you look at Sha Tin you look at Tung Chung you but, look at but Chung we Kongo, have finished more or less Kowloon. you
1: look at Ma Liu Sui reclamation mm-hmm. which has attracted intense criticism and uh, objection by the Sa Tin District Council that is near you look at even Longutan, Tan, there was a fung in yesterday from the uh, rural village leader. But even with Longutan, unfortunately, it cannot be used for housing. The same with uh, Sunny Bay. Sunny Bay reclamation, 80 hectares, Longutan 220 hectares, could not be used for housing because of various uh, aircraft noise and other uh, environmental issues. So I just cannot find uh, uh, any more near shore. You can't do anything within the Victoria harbour limits already. And I was the one who announced that we're not going to do any more harbour reclamation. So where is the land? Chuanguangu is also a very difficult area, yeah.
0: Okay, our number is two three three eight eight two six six. 88266 Your chance to talk directly to the Chief Executive, Carrie Lam, two three three eight eight two six six is the number. Let's get going. Katie is on the line first. Katie, good morning to you. Good
3: morning.
1: Um, I'm Katie. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Katie. Hi.
3: Um, my question is about uh, clinical psychology field. Um, because from the policy address, I did read a paragraph about the pilot-accredited uh, register scheme for healthcare professions. Um, I really appreciate the effort paid by government to um, carry out this policy because um, by this scheme, uh, actually the public can um, have better information as how to choose a good clinical psychologist. However, um, actually I'm a graduate from a local um, Locally held program, uh, which is a doctorate in clinical psychology, and it is a joint program um, held by CTU and California School of Professional Psychology. Mm-hmm. And I'm so surprised that um, the updated pro- uh, the updated proposal um, actually excludes more than 100 clinical psychologists in Hong Kong, which are most of most of most of them are from our program. So um, I, I have a question because this um, accredited scheme was dedicated to one unit in UHK which is um, held which is headed by EKL and um, with his delegation with his further delegation uh, the division of clinical psychology is uh, working as a leading party to work out a feasible scheme and registration. So, sorry Katie
0: so the, what's, what's the question?
3: The question is, I I just wonder, I I feel so confused, why over 100 clinical psychologists who have been practicing in Hong Kong and mainland China are being excluded in the updated proposal in this AR field?
1: Okay, Mrs. Lang. Well, this is a a very um, complex uh, subject, which I happen to know a bit. Uh, First of all, if I could just um, uh, expand it a bit, Uh, airline health professionals in Hong Kong are are playing a very important role but their status have not been fully recognised over the years. I still remember in the early 1990s, I was the Principal Assistant Secretary in the then Health and Welfare Bureau to put in place a statutory registration scheme for physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and radiologists and medical laboratory technicians. We should have gone from then to clinical psychologists and to other allied health speech therapists and so on, but unfortunately, maybe it's again too difficult subject put aside and so on. So after 20, 30 years, we now have new programs emerging in the training of clinical psychologists, especially under self-financing programs, which the quality assurance have not gone through the same robust regime as if in the self-accrediting universities like Chinese University and Hong Kong University. But we are producing graduates and they are working in a field because you don't have statutory registration and regulation. Then they are working as clinical psychologists. So now in order to rationalize and bring all these trained people into a regime, you will have to work out uh, how to accommodate without sort of undermining services or undermining confidence in this very important profession of clinical psychologists. But I can assure Katie that I'm personally looking into this matter. She is right. Uh, Professor Yike Yeo is helping us to look at, and I have just met with another group of clinical psychologists about a month ago. I'm sure we can find a way forward that can meet the needs of predominantly two groups of clinical psychologists trained and educated in Hong Kong. But with that, can I just go a bit further? One of the important themes in the uh, policy address this year, which is in line with what Danny has su- suspected, I want to do things which are more fundamental to Hong Kong, is to raise the importance and profile of primary health care in Hong Kong so that we can uh, shift a bit away from a very hospital-based care and reduce uh, unnecessary emissions into the uh, accident emergency. Rooms. So in this respect, the allied health colleagues will play a very important role, whether they are nurses, they could be nurse practitioners to give kids, whether in terms of pharmacists, they could be community pharmacists to help uh, chronic disease management and also PT, OT, speech therapists. And so the uh, specific measure is uh, in the third quarter of next year, we will uh, launch the first primary healthcare hub in the district of Kuaicheng. So in the past, it will be step by step. OK, let's have this running one or two years and then evaluate and then roll out. I said no, because I'm very convinced and um, our um, our medical team is very convinced that this is the right direction for Hong Kong. So at the same time, while well, we are launching the Kwai Tsing Primary Health Care Hub, I have told the Secretary for Food and Health, uh, Sophia Chan, you should start planning to roll out all over the territory with the other 17 primary healthcare hubs so that hopefully we could have a paradigm shift everybody looks better about their own health uh, condition and come forward for screening health education and do more vaccination and so on
0: okay well yeah. katie thank you very much indeed for your call i hope that, I hope that was uh, useful and number once again 23388266 joe is next i think joe good morning to you
3: hi
0: oh sure please go I ahead Hi.
3: Ho- yeah. Everyone, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm actually following up the clinical psychologist. Uh, Thank you for addressing it before, uh, Kerry. Thank you very much. Um, I am wondering, where did you get that information? Uh, You said uh, the local program is going through a robust, uh, very rigorous regime, but apparently it says uh, the other program doesn't seem like going through the same thing. How did you get that information?
1: Yeah, in our uh, in our local uh, education system we have universities which have uh, gone through the process and been given this self accrediting status so they don't need to come forward to another accreditation body for their um, award of degrees so we have to uh, Accept that system, that there's a system. So uh, tomorrow, one of these universities could launch a program, and that program will be sort of recognized with that degree. So for things outside, of it, especially uh, programs which are done in conjunction with an overseas institute, and I know that uh, one of the programs perhaps fall into that category, we will have to look at it and to assure ourselves and the future patients that this is of the same quality.
0: Okay. There's Joe. no
1: discrimination whatsoever. It's just to make sure that the quality of uh, professional services is not being undermined.
0: Joe, I hope that helps uh, yeah. again. Once again, our, our telephone number is two three three eight eight two six six. Thank you very much indeed for, for for calling on anything that's in the uh, policy address. Um, Duncan is our next caller. Duncan, good morning to you. Uh, good
4: morning, Hugh. Good morning, Carrie. And good morning, Duncan. Congratulations on your uh, policy address. Very well received in the one-way bill and China Daily, so well done on that. Um, one aspect of it that really stood out for me was your tackling of the independence question, um, and I've got a couple of questions relating to the visas, because you've contradicted yourself on the visa situations for Rogers and Mallet. Um, my point about independence is that without UNCY Lung, there never would never have been an independence movement. Uh, I've lived here for 35 years. No mention of independence or the notion of independence ever came about tell UNCY mishandled the Occupy movement two years back and your failures on political reforms. I heard your comments earlier about damned if you do, damned if you don't. But don't you think that UNCY have bear some responsibility for the creation of the independence movement?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, is, uh, I think every chief executive has his or her um, character and way of doing things. And so uh, it's better not to uh, compare and contrast. Secondly is um, the Hong Kong society has changed in recent years. Okay, uh, Soon after reunification, we did not have this sort of talk about independence or separation. I still remember that uh, when in the lead up to the Beijing Olympics, uh, Hong Kong people were so excited about um, the Games, about um, the, um, the the achievements of our national athletes. But unfortunately, things have changed. Who has um, uh, aroused that sort of thing? You have to go back to history. If I remember, the the former chief executive uh, first reference to this subject was in relation to something that appeared in the university a journal or a magazine in a university. So to be fair to him, uh, it was not him who was the first one to mention this subject when the society has nobody... Uh, caring about this thing. So uh he put
0: it at the top of his policy address mm-hmm. didn't he it was the first thing he Could mentioned be. in a policy people call, call him me, the uh, father of hong kong independence oh okay,
1: you can call him whatever way you like in a way you want to call me whatever fashion you like so uh but um we have to accept that what we have seen in the past um, years or so is this not only talk it's really just uh, trying to uh invoke or provoke uh, this idea and um under one country, two systems. Everybody, and myself included, being my constitutional duty, will have to do something about it. Duncan, you had a second point, did you?
4: Well, a follow-up for that was uh, your heavy-handed approach. I think you're using a sledgehammer to crack another
5: uh,
4: on the on the on the visa situation. Last year, you were saying that the the Benedict Rogers visa. Uh, was an issue for Beijing. And then a few days ago, I heard you on a program, through so a translator, saying that the the the, the visa for Nick Mallet was in the hands of the the HKSAR government. So there's some contradiction there. Who's actually responsible for saying no to these visas? You've contradicted yourself. Is it Beijing or is it Hong Kong?
1: Well, uh, I, I think you are having a preconceived idea and that's why uh, you read into what I said in a quite a different manner. I've said from day one consistently that uh, immigration matters, exit and entry matters, are matters for the Hong Kong SAR government. I said that the Director of Immigration in each and every of cases will apply the law, the policy and look at the circumstances of a case. I said that in each and every case, the Immigration Department and the government included will consistently not disclose the reason of why a visa is granted or not granted. Let's
2: refer back yeah. specifically to what you said on last year's program. I have the transcript here. If yeah. You said if immigration matters become matters of foreign affairs, then under the basic law foreign affairs matters are matters for the central people's government. Yes, if okay. Okay. <laughs> and that raises the possibility that there are at least some circumstances where that happens. Um, and of course, a lot of people will wonder whether there's another circumstance that has happened in recent weeks and that um, issues of foreign journalists and visas in Hong Kong, without referring to specific cases, can in certain circumstances be matters of foreign affairs. I mean, you've well, opened that door because you've said certainly some immigration matters. You're not saying which, but some immigration matters can be matters for the Central People's Government.
1: If you look at the basic law, there are provisions that will make certain matters that are matters within the national interest and the chief executive having her due accountability because I am responsible to the Hong Kong SAR and the people. I am also accountable to the central people's government. If we look at Basic Law Article 48 forty eight I have a list of duties and obligations, and that include to take instructions and to act accordingly so when matters that 's why when you read from a transcript, whatever I said is if there are circumstances, I cannot close the door entirely that Hong Kong is exercising full autonomy. Hong Kong is enjoying a high degree of autonomy, but not full autonomy. So
2: you cannot close the door entirely that the presence of foreign nationals in Hong Kong in certain circumstances and visa decisions on them, again, without referring to any specific cases, but in general terms, that the presence of foreign nationals and visa decisions on them in some circumstances could be matters of foreign affairs. They, after all, foreign nationals representing foreign newspapers? No,
1: it's not the question of foreign or local nationals, but it's a question of acting in accordance with the basic law, in accordance with local legislation, the policy and the circumstances of a case.
2: And when it comes to acting in accordance with the basic law, uh, Ronnie Tong, your executive councillor, said this morning on on, on RTHK that um, under Article 41 of the basic law, Everybody resident in Hong Kong, including foreign nationals, must comply with the basic law. Mm. And those who take activities that um, might be seen as contrary to the basic law, which certainly, which could perhaps include participating in independence Mm. activities, um, that could possibly affect their visa status.
1: No, Ronnie is a senior counsel and a member of executive council. He could say his views. But uh, since that particular case is uh, likely to come forward for an appeal to the chief executive in council, I cannot comment. And I want to explain and clarify that Ronnie has already told me that although he's a member of executive council, given what he has said in public, he's not going to take part if there it happens to be that particular appeal. Yeah.
0: Let's just yeah. go back to, to, to C.Y. Lung, um, The former chief executive, as you know, has taken a very, very keen interest in the FCC. He's written many, many times about it. Did he have a hand in the visa decision?
1: Definitely not. Definitely not.
0: Well, how about the
2: FCC lease, which is coming up for renewal? I mean, pe- people will, will naturally assume if the FCC vice president has um, lost his right to work in Hong Kong, people will naturally assume the next thing will be the FCC no, lease. No, first
1: not. is the lease is not up for renewal or it's not going it's, to expire. Uh, no, there is no, the end there's, of your term. There's no yes. mechanism of renewal. Is, uh, when the lease expires oh, yes. or before it expires, the government will decide what to do with this uh, premises, and which happens to be a historical monument. So it's not until 2023 I can say, I have no plans to do that. Ironically, ironically, if you go to the FCC website, my name was mentioned when it refers to the lease because I was the official who supported the uh, leasing to FCC without going through a public tender back in, I don't know, maybe nine years ago, on ground that this is a historic monument. It's better not to have too many in and outs of tenants to uh, which will hurt the building. And of course, another government department said that, yes, we welcome foreign uh, correspondents to work and operate in Hong Kong. So uh, FCC, with non-profit making, although they are doing business with the building, but still it's something that um, the government then uh, was happy to facilitate and support. And that's why you remember the first comment I made when and this um, talk uh, emerged. I said that we, we respected foreign correspondents working in Hong Kong. What I was calling and urging in public is could we have some mutual respect and reciprocity that um, to have a platform for independence uh, advocacy uh, perhaps is clearly not an uh, indication of respect for the government. So
2: you think the FCC's decision to go ahead showed they didn't show mutual respect for the government?
1: No, I don't want to comment anymore. Uh.
0: Okay. Our, our telephone number once again, two three three eight eight two six six. Please call now, not right at the last minute because everybody does and then we can't squeeze in your, your uh, calls uh, Once again, two three three eight eight two six six. Next on the line is Susan. Susan, good morning
6: Hi, good morning um, good morning, Carrie. Good morning, Susan. Uh, I'm, I'm glad Hong Kong has the uh, first female chief executive in this policy address. You've actually made an effort to bring Hong Kong up to par to international standards in terms of maternity leave. Um, my question, however, uh, deals with the sentiment of Hong Kong people, uh, in particular people who were born and raised in Hong Kong, who have contributed to the tax base their whole working life. Uh, we feel disenfranchised over... Uh, the government's ineffective and at times stupid policy on land use. Now, it's a complicated issue, I agree. But there's one lever in the whole equation you refuse to consider. And you've been asked about this time and time again, and you produce a myriad of sad excuses. It's just to reduce or halt the 150 quota per day. At least slow it down. And I can assure you, you and your government's popularity will shoot up. Please listen to the people of Hong Kong. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, first is uh, Susan. Um, yes, I have uh, introduced um, several measures to support women development in this uh, policy address. Though some men then complained <laughs> about not uh, treating them as well. Now, this um, um, this sentiment of Hong Kong people, I acknowledge that the, there is that sentiment. In the same way that when we are receiving a lot of mainland tourists. Um, I am alive to the sentiments uh, because it does have a direct impact on people's uh, daily life. But let's come to a very rational discussion on this uh, 150-day-per-day quota, which is on family reunion. One of the things I attach a lot of importance throughout my career in this policy address is pro-family. We want family reunion.
2: They're not all family reunion, no, are
1: they? We've 95%. All- 95% are family reunion, particularly the spouse and the children. A very tiny will be aged people who have no support in the mainland and they come to join the, the, their children. So, with that sort of thing, uh, and Hong Kong has always been very proud of diversity and uh, tolerance and accepting people. My father came from the mainland. And I'm sure a lot of uh, second, third generation have their seniors coming from the mainland. So why should we resist um, this uh, immigration policy? Yeah. Even if I were to take back the uh, authority to issue permits, I would imagine it would be more or less the same because we'll have to give priority to family reunion. And this system now in the mainland is already operating on that sort of uh, point system. Yeah. The important thing is really to be more accommodating and to create capacity to meet not only the needs of the immigrants but also our local people.
0: Susan, do you want to come back on that? She's gone. All right, okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Dennis, I think, is next. Dennis, good morning to you. Dennis? nope. We haven't got Dennis either. Okay, is Peter there?
7: Yes, hello. Okay, um, Peter, go ahead. Hello, yes, Peter. Uh, I'm here, and uh, I'm I'm Peter Siu. And I want to ask a question uh, referring to the clinical psychology problem. Uh, I think, um, as what you have said, AR accreditation registration scheme is very meaningful and important in Hong Kong. But I think it's very misleading to say that it's, um, the, the the ART program is not up to uh, standard. Because all those hundreds of clinical psychologists in Hong Kong, they are not only working in Hong Kong, but also they can get full accreditation in international country. At the same time, when uh, the other pro- when, when Hong Kong program said that, uh, they refer to the standard in the international. Um, however, when the, those hundreds of clinical psychologists, when they can uh, register in. Um, Canada, uh, Australia, uh, UK, or whatever they can, they still uh, under their draft. They still cannot uh, get into the AR scheme, and that means Hong Kong will lose at least hundreds of clinical psychologists. Provided that uh, there are such a shortage in clinical psychologists, I think it's very uh, critical issues now, and I think it is very uh, wrong to understand both parties by only listening from one. So I I, I strongly urge, I strongly hope that uh, government can really take a part in it and um, really start a discussion, uh, including both parties in clinical psychologists. That's my
1: comment. Well, I I would just uh, reiterate that uh, the Food and Health Bureau, of course, will take part in uh, the discussions leading to a satisfactory resolution of the registration scheme. But let me just clarify, I did not use the term that the other program is not up to standard. I'm just saying that the other program needs to go through a process. Okay,
0: Peter. Thanks very much indeed for your call. Uh, Twenty-one minutes left of uh, the program this morning. Your chance to talk to the Chief Executive Carrie Lam on, on her policy address, covering all kinds of uh, fields. I think a record, you were saying, perhaps in the actual substance of the of the policy address, not just the speech uh, that was delivered on Wednesday. Many, many topics uh, covered. If you want to respond to uh, anything, please give us a call on two three three eight eight two six six two double three double eight two double six. We will give priority uh, to the phone calls, but uh, if you can't get to a phone. You can always, as a backup, uh, drop us an email. And we've got some emails as well. That, uh, that address is bankchat at rthk.hk. Okay, we've got Hans now, I think, on the line. Hans?
4: Yeah, good morning. Good
1: morning, Hans. Good
4: morning. Um, uh, another issue, uh, old one, uh, housing in Hong Kong. I've been here for almost 45 years, um, and housing was always a problem. Um, it's never been quite so acute as, as nowadays. And one reason seems to be the number of people who live in Hong Kong and who want to live in Hong Kong. Um, do you have any idea of a maximum number of people whom, with whom Hong Kong can cope? How, how many people are living here now? There are probably many who want to come in from China. Um, do you have any ideas on that?
1: Hong Kong never practices a uh, population target as such. uh, But uh, the fact is, uh, hence, the um, Hong Kong's population has not grown as fast as one would have seen or projected. 10, 20 years ago. Actually, it's still only 7.4, 7.5 uh, million uh, population. But housing is an acute problem, uh, as you have rightly pointed out. So uh, my strategy now is really to increase the capacity uh, and to find land, not only for housing, for other economic development. The last thing we would like to see in Hong Kong is we have given up. We'll not be able to find the land. We're not able to find the housing. So close the doors. We don't accept any more companies to come to set up. We don't accept to come in to work on INT and so on. So um, um, let's go forward in that strategy to create a land because in the last 20, dec- 20 years, we have simply not created a land that we have seen in the last 50 years prior to this 20-year period because of all sorts of arguments, debates and tensions. And this is time to move forward.
2: You're going to tell us this is why we need the, um, the land tail met- Metropolis, although I know you don't like that term <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that because can,
1: that, that is the only way to form land. The other is just changing the use of land. Okay? Uh, in the last four or five years, we upset a lot of people by what we call this rezoning exercise. So a pocket of land supposed to be for an open space will be rezoned into housing. Uh, another of oh, this is a, a great pity: Land next to the Hong Kong Science Park has been rezoned into housing. We should have reserved that for expansion of the science part. Now, so many tech companies coming in, we have a lot of things we want to do in innovation technology, but we don't have a land. <laughs> so even if we find the land, the next piece of land will be quite far away from uh, Shatin uh, to do the innovation and technology. So we need to create new land. Uh, and that's what Singapore is doing. That's what Macau is doing in creating new land uh, for for the people of Hong Kong.
0: OK, yeah. thank you very much indeed for your, for your call. I think we've got Dennis back now on the line, I hope. Dennis, good morning.
1: Yes, good morning. Uh, Dennis, yes, go ahead.
8: Yeah, um, four points, uh, really. Uh, two of them, I really think that you may not have the answer at your fingertips. But let's just uh, rewind 10 years ago to Donald Jang's uh, policy address. Someone called in and asked when the electric buses were coming. His answer was, very soon indeed. You're going to be surprised. There's no sign of them yet, as far as I know. Then someone asked, when is FM Radio 3 going to be? broadcast on an FM channel instead of uh, <clears throat> medium wave which I understand we're still broadcasting on this morning the answer to that was very soon indeed we're st- we're still listening on red- on uh, medium wave um, moorings could we have more moorings boats and then the e-cigarettes there's absolutely no evidence that they are dangerous whatsoever compared Many other things in life.
0: So, um, okay, we can, we, can we stop at four? Okay, <laughs> let's, let's, yes, that's let's, it. it.
1: We've got right. rest four electric buses. Well, electric buses uh, have been uh, piloted uh, in Hong Kong. Um, the single deck, uh, the double deck is very difficult. But uh, I think in a policy address, we did mention using the green transport fund to f- see whether we could identify possible technological solutions uh, to apply to the buses. Uh, e-bus in Hong Kong is is difficult, unlike in other cities because of our hilly topography, because of the frequency of our buses. You ask the bus to recharge for a few hours before going back on the roads. Is that difficult. But we are doing a lot because green transport has been given a lot of priority um, in the government, and the Secretary for Environment is uh, embarking on various initiatives. If you look at the uh, policy address and the policy agenda booklet. I'm, I, I'm afraid, I just can't comment on the medium wave versus FM. This is uh, just uh, maybe Hugh can explain. Let me just finish on the mooring of boats. Uh, I don't know whether you're referring to marinas. Now, there is indeed a shortage of marinas in Hong Kong, but uh, again, this is uh, sometimes being described as a rich man's business. Why should you? take out the water for marina we are doing a bit of that in the Dongchong uh, extension reclamation there will be a marina there to meet the needs of, actually nowadays may not be very luxurious yachts but even sailing boats, they do need some space to moor their boats You're aware mm-hmm. of
2: the controversy over the um, eviction of the uh, Discovery, Discovery Bay. Bay I'm sure many of them are listening today some of them say they're going to go bankrupt and their livelihoods are threatened, is there anything the government can do to help? No, but that is uh,
1: private, so it's contractual not, it, it, yeah, It's I not
2: just, something, in, in terms no.
1: Uh, they have already. written to me. I've asked my colleagues to look at, but this is really a private, so the
0: government a can't private matter.
1: Yeah. And e-cigarettes. Uh, oh, he oh, yeah, Sorry, that was the last one. Yeah. You, you is he in support <laughs> or not in support? <laughs> I missed that point. Uh, I
0: don't know. But, I know. <laughs> uh, the, the point was like, um, let, let's let's make it brief. Um, I mean, the government changed its mind. You changed your mind on the on the e-cigarettes. I changed the mind. Yeah.
1: I I I did not change my own mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I changed... The government's policy. So, uh, in the actually, there's a bit of flip-flop over this uh, particular subject. Uh, it is not easy; it's difficult because, uh, on the one hand, um, there's different types of scientific evidence. Some said that it is good for smokers to quit, uh, an even more harmful type of cigarettes. Some said that no, it becomes a step up for kids, so they try the e-cigarettes, the heat not burn, and then the next time they go on to the nicotine uh, cigarette. But never mind, uh, with what is clear that this uh, e-cigarette is not harmless, okay, so it does have some harm. And to pick up this habit of smoking uh, is really not good for the young people, the kids. And statistics in front of us uh, do indicate that this trend of uh, young people picking up the e-cigarettes is very prevalent. The figures are quite um, serious. So uh, for the sake of the health of our people, especially the young people, um, I decided that we should revert an earlier decision made in the last term of the government, which was presented to the Legislative Council in my term as if we are consistently applying that policy. I've changed that. And now uh, we will uh, propose legislation to ban e-cigarettes and related uh, products.
0: Okay. Thank you for for those comments. Um, Let's move on with the uh, calls. Once again, 233-88266. Merrin is next. Marin good morning to you.
9: Good morning. Uh, I'd Good like money. to talk about conservation and uh, nature protection within the budget, Kerry. And yeah. so I'd like to start with, uh, first off, um, uh, expressing disapproval for what we're seeing currently with this East Town metropolis from pre-designed in mm. terms of really looking like it could be, if it was to go ahead, actually a smart city that tanks in environmental aspects as well. Um, but my main question is to do within uh, section 64, section B uh, section 4, you talk in there about the 1 billion Lantau Conservation Fund will be set up and the only other place that really sticks out for talking about nature conservation is section 282 where you talk about the uh, continuing to implement the Biodiversity Strategy and Action Plan uh, as a long-term blueprint for nature conservation, sustainable development. I'm wondering if you could expand on what are some of the things that would be in that Tower Conservation Fund that are not based on building tracks and building infrastructure, but in terms of funds to actually help the biodiversity and actually get fast progress around our BSAP process.
1: Well, first of all, um, I, I, I can assure you, Marion, that, uh we are attaching a lot of importance to the biodiversity strategy. Uh, that's why we rolled out this action plan, and we have also provided other resources for the Environment Bureau to take forward the biodiversity strategy plan. I I don't think I should spend time to do, uh, to talk about all the details in this strategy, but coming back to the uh, Lantau tomorrow, Lantau has country parks have a lot of spacious environment and green and nature and and Heritage Conservation. These are all presented in the uh, vision uh, document and we will do conservation first before we do development. Uh, actually, a sustainable entire office has been set up in the last term of government. So now they will have the money to engage NGOs. I have made sure that they should work with NGOs and district and community groups in order to put in place uh, some of those um, proposals. And those proposals, of course, will contribute to the um, safeguarding of Hong Kong's biodiversity. It's
9: in that area that I think we've uh, got concern, because those strategy plans talk about development in the north and conservation in the south. And through different working groups, uh, working with the government, the individual government departments seem very hamstrung at the moment to be able to do anything, particularly when we talk about fly-tipping issues because of the problems with the waste disposal ordinance and the way that things like the coastal protection zone has been implemented. So there's a lot of more stronger policy support and legislative support required to be able to achieve what you're talking about. And I think to help your department, they're expressing that to us as green groups that they're, they're right. They can't actually make these changes and we need legislative change. So that's just my final point. When okay. you have a comment, that would be good. No,
1: there will be, uh, two, uh Two responses I could make um, to your concern in the Lentau tomorrow. One is under sustainability and conservation. We did offer that um, we need to look at the legislation and other measures to prevent those uh, dumping. Uh, and destruction of some of the uh, environmentally uh, sensitive areas. So this is something we'll do. Second okay, is uh, you are worried about either. the uh, lack of uh, departmental coordination or high-level support. I've said that we will set up a coordination office and uh, which will be directly responsible to me. In other words, I'll give them the necessary support and steer when there are interdepartmental um, discord on doing some things that, that perhaps that will help. Okay, Marion, well, thank I'm you very much indeed.
9: Those meetings and next, uh, we've got some coming up very shortly with people from the Sustainable Lantau office, so look forward to them having that extra support from high level in government. No.
0: Yes. Okay, great. Marion, thank you very much indeed for your for your call. Okay, we've got we've got a lot of calls to try and squeeze in. Uh, Leo is next. Leo, good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you doing? Leo, good morning.
5: Good morning, Ms. Lamb. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. Um, I'm a parent of a local, uh, of a non-native um, uh, Speaking, a permanent resident um, and what I was looking at one of my child one of my kids is in the local school right now and one of the things that I've done is actually just walk around the school and try and get a feel of what's going on one of the one of the main points that I've realized about about the school is that it just it seems to be a bit backwards in terms of what it has uh, what facilities it has and and what materials are used in the school so say for example uh, in the courtyard, they have uneven bricks um, used in a courtyard for primary school children. Um, they have also very light, sort of desks, uh, light chairs, very scant. Uh, doesn't see and, and when the kids sit down, or if they make a movement, if they're writing, the desks move. Things like that. What, what I would like to know is: is there a um, some sort of committee or someone who does research into the materials used inside public schools? Local schools, especially um, whether they're actually, you know, properly chosen, researched, um, you know, just to make schools, local schools, more comfortable, because it just it doesn't seem to be just this school. It seems to be a few other schools, and these choice of bricks in the courtyard for kids, uh, primary school children, who have very clumsy feet, including the parents. I've tripped over these bricks more than once. Okay, okay interesting question.
0: All
1: right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Leo, uh, as you can read from my policy address, uh, I attach a lot of importance to quality education, and quality okay. education requires um, a lot of things. It requires a conducive environment, um, very passionate okay. teachers, and uh, numerous support from the government, and so on. So uh, this very, very specific issue about the fiscal environment, uh, I will I will ask my Education Bureau colleagues to look into it. But if it is a question of resources, then there are now at least uh, two initiatives. One is, uh, in fact, it was last year, we have built up a big reserve in what we call the Quality Education Fund. It started over $5 billion, but when I look at the books, it uh, clocked up to $8 billion. I thought it's time to spend to help some of the schools with the bricks replacement and other things. So we are rolling out a program that will cost $3 billion out of the $8 billion to help the schools to do improvement. Just be Beautiful very flexible. It. What they want to do, improve the school, give uh, kids a more lively, colourful environment to learn. The other thing is in this policy address of the $4.7 billion extra recurring expenditure, there's a very big ticket item, is to give schools on a permanent basis a consolidated grant that will help kids to do a lot of extracurricular, whether they, right. they want to learn this and that, they want to go for competitions abroad that will come out from that grant.
5: Fantastic. May I ask one more question?
0: Uh, sorry, we've got, we've got a lot of other calls, Leah. Thank you very much indeed because we were just trying to be fair and, and spread it as widely as possible. Thank you very much indeed for, for that interesting uh, observation. Uh, let's go to uh, Andrew now. We've only got uh, less than five minutes left. Andrew? Uh,
5: good morning, Kerry. Good morning. Uh, thank you for making yourself available to take questions. Um, I have um, one basic question. Uh, uh, question I'd like to bring up, and that is, the word rent control has never come up in any of the uh, uh, land supply and housing uh, discussions. Um, in the in the early 80s, it was brought in by the British, and it worked very successfully for a couple of years. I think it was four years, right. and it seemed to put a a break on the, uh, the the rents that were going sort of out of control at that time. Why has rent control not been considered?
1: Andrew, my first job in government 38 years ago was on rent control. <laughs> I was a secretary to a committee to look at, uh, to review the landlord and Tenant Consolidation Ordinance. Uh, I can tell you that we have been struggling with this issue because of the um, difficulties of uh, low-income families, especially living in what we call subsidy flats and being sort of pressurised by these um, high rents. But unfortunately, in the current uh, limited supply situation, we are extremely worried that putting in any rent control would mean that it would be even more difficult for these families to get um, a roof over their head because the owners will be very hesitant to put their units for leasing, they may as well hoard it and then redevelop it and other things so uh, it is really not an easy uh, decision that the government could make because of the very uh, dire consequences that may it may result and that's exactly why uh, after a few years of uh, rent control, we have to de-rent control because uh, the supply uh, has improved and this is after all a market activity whether the government should really interfere so much into this uh, rent market is is really uh, uh, not an easy issue Issue for any government here.
0: Okay, well, yeah. I, I, I hope that uh, clarifies things a little bit. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Kyle is next. Kyle, good yes. morning. Good morning.
1: Kyle. Well,
10: okay. um, I'm very angry here at this point that the others before, because of the reformation size, quite big, at uh, 1,300 and you said, oh, Singapore also brought vaccination, recommendation, Macau also and also uh, the Consolidated Government 30 years ago, they have a great recommendation that it can said. But I think this is completely wrong because the real, you should get in the bad first. The real problem I'll just give you an example that if I go to a restaurant, you have a good wine, many people go to dine, but certainly what day, it has a virus or some disease or that and nobody could, could come out of it. And now you can say, we can't say this uh, because previously it's good, so that was the government's bad. So the real problem is that the, the recognition itself is not good, but it's the uh, irreversible ecological impact, adverse impact on the water and equality.
0: And you cannot buy Okay. Yes. Yeah, on the reclamation, will you reconsider the reclamation? Will you consider it or are you determined to move ahead? Do you think that's being decisive?
1: No, I think um, reclamation to create new land for Hong Kong is, as I've said previously, unavoidable. Because that's creating new land. And that takes a long time. So I'm not saying that we will go for reclamation and not do all the other things. We are doing other things as well. We are developing brownfield sites, although it's equally difficult, expensive and very complicated. We are also uh, doing um, the measures to unlock the private landowners' land through a very transparent and fair and equitable scheme. But without prior planning, even if you want to do reclamation, you can't create the land. It needs a long process, statutory process phasing. The size of the reclamation... could be phased in. In fact, nobody else is saying that uh, on day one we will reclaim 1,700 hectares. That is just impossible. Everything has to be phased in, and if you look at the map, it comprises several uh, artificial islands. So whether we want to have a more sustainable and a sure supply of land is an issue that um, the government and the chief executive um, could not um, uh, shake responsibility. I need to find a way forward for Hong Kong to meet the uh, various uh, needs of um, the economic growth and improving people's livelihood.
0: Okay, well, Carl, many thanks to your call and very many thanks to the chief executive, Carrie Lam, for joining us this morning for that phone-in on a very wide range, as ever, Mm -hmm. uh, of topics of interest. Thank you very much, Eden, uh, related to the uh, policy address. Back to... We'll continue with Ronnie Tom. we hope, in fact, uh, after the news at nine uh, in just a few minutes' time. So stay tuned if you're listening uh, to the radio. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed. And thank you very much to uh, everybody who called and uh, uh, emailed this morning. Uh, The news at nine coming up now.